0: Good evening ladies and gents, hope you're well, welcome back to another live episode of the AJ Robert Show. Um, as you well know, this is a high performance podcast and i like to bring you high performing guests and today we have none other than Mr. Stefan Wensley, former British soldier. How you doing son? I'm good mate, thanks very much for having me on, really appreciate it, really excited. Absolutely welcome mate, absolute pleasure. Um, Guys and girls, I don't think I mentioned before, uh, or if you didn't read all the text, uh, Stefan's actually out in uh, Dubai at the minute where he currently currently runs his business, which is absolutely fantastic. And I was really keen to get him onto the show today um, to really talk about his journey on how he went from being a British soldier to the entrepreneur and best-selling author that he is today. Uh, But we'll get there a little later on. So i um, just going to start back a little bit, mate. Uh, I'm going to just tread back to your days in the military. Um, you used to be in the Royal Signals. Um, how old were you when you joined the military? So I joined up straight away. I remember it was always a bit of a funny one, actually. So I remember you used
1: to be able to sign on the dotted line before you were 16. So I remember my mum dragging me out of school at like a couple of days after I was 15 and nine months, straight down to the careers office in Coventry, to go, right, OK, now's your time, sign there. Um, and then funnily enough my parents are uh, my mum's um irish and then my biological dad is german so you can imagine the vetting took a little bit of a while wow. so i think i got in just after i was just after i turned 17. okay um, wow and is that something you always want to do as a kid yeah so i come from quite a big military family so uncles granddad grandmother uh my dad's cousins are all in the army as well so yeah. for me it was it was kind of something that I was always going to do I joined the army cadets when I was like a really young which you obviously get a bit of jip for when you join the army as well so mm-hmm. I think I was like going from sergeant major down to down to private again but yeah, yeah for me it was like always a bit army barmy absolutely loved it um, so for me there was there was never really any conversation to say are you going to go through formal education system university for me it was just always it was
0: always going to be the military really and um, you, you touched on it then about being a sergeant major in the in the cadets. Do you think that put you in good stead? Obviously, you've gone through some kind of rank structure. Obviously, showing quite a lot of leadership qualities. Do you think that put you in good stead for when you first joined at a young age?
1: I think there is. I think there's kind of two sides to it. There's there's the element of you've got quite a lot of training. Like the rifles are basically the same. Kind of a lot of the training is actually very similar um, that the military will do, just at a very lower level. So it's a very good kind of skill set to bring into the army but then at the same time you're still seven 16 17 years old still a bit cocky and as soon as like i remember getting so much crap from the corporals when they're like when they're uh teaching you right okay now we're going to strip a weapon so first thing you do is this and by that point i've already stripped the weapon and then they don't obviously really like that. So um kind of just a bit a bit too cocky, I think, but that's that they soon knock that out you in the military, don't they?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We had, we had a few people in uh, when I went through training that done cadets, it was quite obvious as well. And yeah, they're kind of like just trying to move one step further ahead, you know, when you can't really do it because obviously you've got people that have come from you know, the, the closest they've been is playing Call of Duty, um, yeah. okay. to any, any kind of weapon system. So yeah, no, no, I totally get you, mate. And um what, so once you passed out free training and stuff like that, like what was, the, what was sort of the makeup of your, the first few years of your career? So I was
1: quite lucky actually. So I, I, I was born in Osnabrück originally as a pad brat. I'd never been back to Germany like since then. Um, so for me, I, I, want, I, I was bearing in mind like proper army army at this point. So I finished basic training, gone into uh, Blamford, not far from you, um, I was to do uh, phase two training for, as a, I think it was a radio operator at the time, which they changed the trades about 15 times since then, I think. Um, obviously trained from there and then at the end, they were like, cool, where do you wanna be posted? And for me, I was quite fit and I was like, right, okay, can I go to um, any special forces units? Can I go P company? Can I go commandos? Anything like that. And they were like, no, not as a first posting, but you can have Osnabruck. And I was like, where the hell's that? And I was like, oh, actually, no, I do recognize that. I think I was born there. So, um, so they gave me Oslobrook, So, four armored brigade, which was absolutely brilliant. Actually, I did turn up as a bit of a, a gobshite. Anybody that knows me in my army career will know that. So, I kind of turned up as you do at 17 past training. You think you're invincible, um, and just got on the beers basically, as, as you do in Germany. Yes. And it was a bit, it was a bit rampant. So, I, I got a punishment. Um, they got me out of the unit because I was a bit of a, a bit of a renegade. And they said, right, we're going to give you a punishment. You're going down to a place called Damazay. You're gonna be there for the six, next six months. Your job is to basically pick weeds out of the floor and look after this club. And I went, club, what do you mean? Like What sort of club? And they were like, oh, it's a sailing and windsurfing club. And I'm thinking in my head, this doesn't really sound much like a punishment. So they sent me down there and it was, quite, it was very buckshe no uniform for six, seven months, I think that I was there. And like one of the first things that happened when we got there is a couple of the guys they said, um, right, we need some windsurfing and sailing instructors who'd like to do the course to become an instructor. And we were like, yeah, absolutely happy days. So once you do that, then you don't get any of the the jobs like running around and picking the weeds up because you're out training people every day. So I was quite lucky there. Um, obviously came back from that. My unit was deployed over to Iraq for Telic Seven, so joined all the guys out there. Um, Good tour, hard tour, but good tour. Uh, for anybody that was at Telex 7, they they'll understand what that was like. So we did the tour there and then we went through the transition of moving 4 Armoured Brigade back to the UK. Um, and then we literally got back to the UK and then stepped off the plane basically and back onto one out to Canada. So for anybody's done Battus, absolutely brilliant. Um, so we did like six months out in Battus as permanent staff. And then obviously my time came to an end at 4 Armoured. So from 4 Armoured I went over to um, Aldershot Love order shop, lovely, beautiful place. Um, so spent another three years there with uh, basically the rapid response team that deals with the security or the comms for um, any of the natural disasters. So they're the um, team that would basically get called out for like flooding and stuff. So we're always on really, really short notice to move periods. And we were always on call for anything that happened in London. So that we got the bad bit of the job where we're always on call for the stuff like the floods but then at the same time we got to go to all the ceremonial duties which was really cool so that was a good bit of my career and then the final post I got promoted there posted on promotion to um 11eod up in tewkesbury and uh, spent a bit of time with 11 11eod now that was the kind of point where i was thinking right do i really want to do this it was a bit scary to be honest i think that 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 was probably the, the biggest part of my career that i found a bit worrying because if anybody knows anybody that's been in eod obviously the the, the, the casualty rates are ridiculously high. Um, and I was thinking, right, at this point, do I really want to be carrying on with this career? I just got married and stuff like that. So um, my wife got a new job and she wasn't very happy because I got posted to 11EOD and then suddenly they were like, right, the London Olympics are on. Uh, you're going down there for four months. So mm-hmm. you can imagine a just married woman for her husband to go, right, um, cool. Here, here's a brand new location, which just moved you up to Tewkesbury enjoy i'll see you later <laughs> just shut off so she gave me a bit of an ultimatum and said right you need to make a decision now and i made the decision to to obviously get out at that point uh, which yeah. was to be honest was the right decision for me at the time which was good um here's a funny one what years did you serve in uh Ozenbrook form i was there uh, from 2000 and when i get out of training 2006 to 2009 and uh, and what camp are you based on Oh god I can't remember the name of it it was it was raw signals and royal engineers at four brigade hq yeah yeah we were based on the
0: same camp oh hey, were you <laughs> yeah so who, who was your sergeant major uh andy cooney massive big tall guy um so oh. yeah so so i was actually there from 2004 to 2008 in quebec barracks um wow. yeah and uh, yeah in four squadron and um yeah so i, I was listening the whole time just like kind of laughing in my head Really funny, and I was just like, "We've got our mutual friend Darren Roy that was on tour with you guys."
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was, he was one of the guys I was at Dumas with for uh,
0: seven months. Yes, yeah, so sadly passed away in Afghan, didn't He. so Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was literally you were talking then, and I was like, "My missus is watching this now because she's gone to uh, she's gone to go get some shopping." She'd be yeah. laughing her head off, going like, "It was there at the same time the whole time." Uh, that's like, Yeah, so we've been probably we've been probably uh cross passing like dreamers and stuff like that many oh, times. definitely. Yeah, yeah
1: so and- I to see you guys when you were on tour with us. Because you mm. guys were at 7, weren't
0: you? Yeah, I, I,
1: I wasn't now. I was on course then. Oh, okay. Because, um, yeah, well, I probably shouldn't say it's on video, but I was dating your Sergeant, Mort- Sergeant Major's daughter for a while, for like two years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He was
0: a scary bloke. But it wasn't the same one that you just said it was somebody else. Oh, but it's still funny. This is a brilliant podcast. My my son's actually born in uh, Osdenbrook as well. He was born in the hospital there. Yeah. so yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, sponsored by VFL, but the football team in there. Uh, yeah. we got a free baby crew, which was, wasn't like a baby. I was like, how do, how do they make babies here in Germany? It was like, it was like a four year old baby. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, speak to anybody who was um, around based at that time. And if you said, Oh, if you could spend anywhere in your career, the whole, t- whole 22 years, or whatever, like, where would you spend it? They'd all say that, um, yeah. um, phenomenal place. And, uh, you know, I want to go back there some point soon. Just to yeah, go. No, spirit, lot,
1: the um, now the military's left. I've heard that it's kind of gone down a bit because yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're not there to fund it anymore, are we? So you used to have mm. well over thousands of soldiers there spending money, and um, mm. unfortunately, it's, it's taken a little bit of a, a hit. I think in the economy economically.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, no, massively, and it's a, it's the same in all the places now. Um, because I spent some time in Paderborn. um, yeah, but it, it, it's quite interesting you say that, like uh, how you, you know, you got in trouble, you got sent away, you're a bit of a renegade and all this kind of stuff. Um, do you think that the, the, the that, and I actually say this as a quality, right? Um, do you think that quality that you had there, uh, is a lot to do with like constantly asking questions, being a bit rebellious? And is that what makes you kind of like a bit of a, a dis- disruptor when it comes to business and entrepreneurship stuff like that? Because I, I'm very similar to myself. So I was always, um, I'm constantly asking questions all the time, really curious, uh, thinking outside the box, like an outcome thinker. And I always have been for years and years and years. And I think that's what makes really good entrepreneurs. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see it now, even like, especially like through the pandemic, like how people deal with the situation. Um, but also when you actually pick apart a lot of entrepreneurs' views of the current situation and what their beliefs are, and like you can see where it comes from because they've taken the situation, the outcome that we're in at the minute, and they've just reverse engineering, which is exactly what I've done uh, yeah. and why I've had so many fallings out with so many people. But like, um, it's just because they're not like critical outcome thinkers, do you know what I mean? And that's all it is. It's not because he's an arsehole, I'm an arsehole. Um, I think and I, I think you get a lot of those qualities from the military, I think. Um, and it's people who are doing well outside the military have got these real similar traits. They've always been had a bit of a bad boy streak in the military and they've been in the shit and stuff like that. Um, do you think that's like kind of uh, held you in good stead to where like you are now? I think, I
1: think it has. I think I went through the point of kind of learning my lesson a bit in the military. And then in 2010, obviously, it was, just a, it was a bad year altogether. Obviously, me and Darren were good friends and there was that. Then I got in a bit of trouble drinking, broke up with my long term girlfriend, everything kind of went downhill. And I made a couple of big mistakes, which probably should have ended me up in in Colchester. But I was very lucky and it didn't. Um, but they said to me, you'll never get promoted. They're like, you will never, ever get promoted. And this is where it kind of, everything changed. I think it, it kind of flipped a switch. Mm-hmm. And it, the rebellious side probably comes into that because for me, I hate being told that I can't do something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So they were like, you will never be promoted. Mm-hmm. Our advice to you now is to either leave the military or move to the medic corps or something else. Just get out the signals. And mm-hmm. I was like, no, absolutely not. Like I can definitely do this. So I just grafted for a year and I did. I was probably the only one I know ever that all was like the closest person to ever get in charge. I only didn't get charged because of a loophole, but then a year later, getting promoted and the rest of it, and it wasn't getting promoted to get rid of me. I was actually quite good, so it wasn't one of those promotions. But it's that, that kind of rebellious side that people have, and I've always had it, and I've still got it now. It, and it really is to kind of prove people wrong when they're it's the face of adversity, isn't it? We get told in the army that to improvise, adapt, and overcome. There's always a solution to every problem that we can that we that we encounter, because for us it's it's not normally an option is it it's there's a problem you need to overcome it it's not like it's optional Mm -hmm. sometimes it's life and death situations so we have to overcome these things And i think this is the difference i've seen massively with civilians and military ex-military guys working in civilian companies where if something's not done then and we know it needs to be done instead of knocking off at half past five and going home they will stay until the job is done whether that's staying until the next morning, staying for five days straight, sleeping in the office, whatever. They'll just get it done and find a way. And I think that is obviously a big trait that comes out of the military and more, more for the kind of more rebellious people, I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I totally agree. And I think when you put um, those attributes together, um, like actually being able to do that in the first place is actually high performing. And I, I talk about the term a lot and, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, talking with people on Clubhouse and stuff out, like and they say like, "Oh, what do you mean by high performance?" And uh, even people like send me DMs and stuff. And um uh, you know, I say like every single every single person has the opportunity to be a high performer, a flick of a switch. And it, all it is is just the ability to be suddenly just get a grip of what you're doing, assess the situation, but just start being a little bit better. You're st- yeah. you're, you're then high performing. You don't need to be like a, a high end athlete. You don't need to be special forces soldier. You don't need to be like a ten figure earner. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can be, a, you know, a new parent, you know, you can be someone who should start a new job, someone who's looking for a new job, you know, all these little things to seek high performance is just becoming that little bit better version of yourself every single day. Um, yeah. And I think people in the military are, actually have that within them at any given moment. It's just been, it's just getting them to be able to realize it and unlock it. And I think mm-hmm. that's why so many people left, left the military of doing really well, unlock that potential very early um and, and seeked it and i think a lot, probably a lot to do with and it does help having you know like-minded people around you and identifying a strong circle of influence is really critical mm-hmm. um because again some people just get out don't they? they see it all the time every day people get out and they, f- they don't really get out to anything um yeah. so it goes it really- back to that circle of influence i think you just
1: said when you when you come out of the military and fall into a bad circle either through i, I was quite lucky because when i got out I was still in Tewkesbury because that's where we'd moved with my wife. She'd got a job and everything. And then I got a job in Gloucester, very close. So I didn't go back to, uh, I wasn't like a, a single guy that had gone back to maybe my hometown and then fallen in with maybe the bad crowd, which was one of the one, the, the group that I grew up with in the first place. Hmm. I was very lucky that I got out of that situation when I did when I was young, because the guys that um, I was in school with and stuff ended up going to prison and things like that. So if I would have stayed, and not join the military i probably would have went the same way of them just by guilty by association and i think that almost falls into it if you go back into that situation it's very hard and i think that's why a lot of a lot of friends actually have gone back to their kind of previous lives before the military which may have not been very good and then kind of got caught up in like drugs or drinking or crime or whatever purely because
0: it's it is that the circle of influence around you isn't it Yeah, hundred percent, and it's you know I'll I'll say it probably at least once or twice a week, like uh, you know to my my audience in some aspect um, about just surrounding yourself with as many like-minded people as possible because um, the more the more you don't the uh, the the less sort of purpose you find the the less ideas you have you know and it's just and that's why I like spending a lot of time on Clubhouse mate and it's um you know obviously well you know work from home work from my laptop similar to yourself and it's like I, I spend some time on there because you just Uh, you you can collaborate and then i can i I hear certain you know a couple of things that spark ideas and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and whether they're not sat next to you they are kind of um you know so it's really important just to find that kind of even that mentorship from other places that you know doesn't necessarily need to be face to face um so so upon like leaving the military um Mm -hmm. you went straight into what's normal employment and then
1: yeah so i I actually wasn't really thinking about going straight into a job i didn't know i didn't really know what i wanted to do i didn't really have any aspirations as a like oh i really want to kind of do this so i i spoke to my ex-wife and said obviously she was working for quite a big company in the fleet industry and i said oh is there any way you could get me in for 15 minutes half an hour with the director of your company just because i want to ask him questions as to what he would be looking for from somebody leaving the military because we don't have we don't have any experience like everybody else may do in, in their industry. So I just wanted to get some feedback from him. So she managed to organize that. And I went to, I went to go and see him, a guy called Dave Scobie from All Fleet Services in Gloucester. Absolute diamond of a, of a guy. Um, and he spent some time with me and he said, look, do you know what? I really, really like the vibe that you've got and, and the kind of the mentality that you're coming in with. Will you have a chat with another guy? Because he was very busy, obviously the director of quite a big company. Will you go and speak to Andy, who's our head of telemarketing? for half an hour. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll go and have a chat with him. And I ended up having a chat with this guy for like three hours. And at the end, I kind of said to him, well, Andy, well, what what skills would you look for in somebody that would be joining from the military? Like, what advice could you give me? And he said, to be honest, from this conversation right that we've had, I would hire you tomorrow. So I'm thinking, oh, absolute winner. Problem is I've got to give a year's notice. (laughs) So trying to get out of the military and go into a job was going to be quite difficult. So I managed to say, Look, if you can put that in writing, I can go to the military and ask them to release me early because I've got a, a solid job offer. And they did. Like it was, I don't know how we managed to do it so quick, but well, I think I managed to get out in about three months. Like, Signed a load of documents to say that I didn't want the resettlement and everything else, and they actually managed to get me out quick so I could get into this job. And I think I did start pretty much three months later. Um, so really, really good turnaround. I don't know anybody that's been got out that quick apart from if they've done something naughty. So managed to get out, started that job and they employed me as initially they said, oh, we'll give you a team leader role in um, in the call centre. Now I said, look, being a, a lance jack in the army, I still think is a bit more of a higher position than a, a team leader in a call centre, to be honest. Um, and it was le- less pay. So I said, it's probably not what I'm looking for. I'm looking at something more managerial if I can. Um, so I was kind of pushing it a little bit. But sold myself, and they managed. To, they came back to me and said, we'll give you the head of telemarketing job, so you'll be in charge of, I think, 44 people it was at the time. So I went in and, and did that, and, and absolutely loved that job. It was brilliant. We were basically running a team of, uh, like, four teams of 10, 10 or so people. Generally, most of them were quite young, um, very eager to make money, proper kind of sales people, so I really enjoyed it. Um, didn't like It was weird that I didn't know how to sell, but for some reason, every time I picked up the phone, I could just sell people stuff. So it's like a weird natural um, ability to sell. Uh, admittedly, it was quite easy to sell free MOTs, to be honest. Um, so we managed to get that, do that for a while. Then, obviously, had a bit of a split with my ex-wife, who was obviously working at the sister company to to that one. And that's when it all kind of changed. And I kind of went, "Well, well, I'm quite good at sales. I should probably go and do something else in sales." So I moved out of there, went and got a job. I well, moved kind of back to my mum's for for a couple of months, and. Um, and got a job for working for Toyota selling cars. Now, if anybody wants to learn how to learn to sell, go and work for someone like Toyota, because it's very different to working for like VW or BMW or Ferrari or anybody like that. People come into those places and they wanna buy the car, right? They've got a passion. I've always wanted a BMW. I've always wanted a Golf. I've always wanted a Ferrari. It's a very easy sell. Nobody wants a Toyota. So you've actually got to learn to sell it. So I learned to sell that, really enjoyed it. Um, and within three months, I think I was selling. I was I was rated in the top three in the UK for highest profit per margin for the quarter. So I was like, I'm, I feel a bit wasted here. I don't don't really enjoy the job, but um, good at sales. So I thought, right, I need to do something else. And this is where I kind of went. Right, let's go for something else. Um, I want to make a really big impact. I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder from my ex-wife, who said that her dream was always to live in Egypt, and she was very obsessed with money. So for me, I was like, right, where can I kind of up both of those? Well, I can one-up Egypt, no offense to any Egyptians, one-up Egypt and go to Dubai. And where can I make money? The finance industry, naturally. So I got a job for a company out here, which was called Fund Advisors. Uh, now it's called Finsbury Associates. Um, and I came out here as a business development manager in finance. And again, absolutely smashed that job so far to the point where they couldn't even afford to pay my commission. <laughs> like we made so much money, They couldn't afford to pay me at the end of the month. So it was... So that was absolutely bonkers. But this is where I kind of fell into what I do now. So for anybody that's like business development, they'll know that there's loads of different ways to do it. And and my particular way, rather than cold call people all day and do 500 calls a day, I would go and spend my evenings kind of, it's it's going from that high performance side. So rather than finishing work at half past five and going to get drunk with my mates, I would finish work at, half five, six o'clock. And then I would go to networking events. And then when I finish one networking event, if I meet anybody good, we'll go for a drink after, or I'll go to another network event on the bounce straight after that one to try and meet as many people as possible. And I think I I think you've, I watched a video of yours with another guy, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, um, who was saying about identifying gaps in the market. And there was a gap in the market at that point where I, I was going to these events and I was going, do you know what, they're all quite good, but not quite right for me. So I thought the only way to overcome that is to create my own events. Um, and I started creating my own events where people would come and uh, discuss business and things like that. And it was, it, and that worked really, really well to the point where that ended up being my business. I take took the money that I made in finance, started a company in Dubai, which is slightly more difficult than it is in the UK. It's not kind of like 30 quid and you registered. For here, it's like 12 grand um, back in 2013 it was. Where you've got to pay for sponsorship and a license and the rest of it, and then I started um, an events company, and that's where it all kind of kicked off. That was my first job as um, well, basically self-employed, which then grew into an actual company, which was fun.
0: Hmm.
1: And 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 what about the the birth of
0: Digital Commando?
1: Was that? Um... So yeah, so that was off the back of more of the COVID situation. So it's something we always had in the back burner. So for for me, obviously, we started what was Sigma Events in Dubai. Sigma Events quickly turned into a marketing. Uh, company because all the other events companies were coming to us saying oh well how are you getting so many people to your events we were like oh well we can do it for you so we naturally transitioned into a marketing agency um and then i just felt like i didn't quite have the experience very much self-taught so we were i was good at what i did but i still felt like i needed a bit more education that's when i moved back to the uk to go and work for an agency there um and the weird thing was i'd gone to work for a big agency that had been around for years and for me i still felt like oh um do you know what, I'm still better at my job than these guys so I then started my own agency and then through running the agency over a number of years uh, we could see that the problem the, the issue we had was as an agency we were quite expensive so for any small business coming to us saying that we've got a budget of maybe 500 pounds a month to do marketing we couldn't really work with them feasibly there wasn't really enough markup in it for us to say do you know what we'll take you as a client so I was thinking for years like we need to do something for the people that can't afford us as an agency and give them an alternative rather than maybe hiring a freelancer which is where we created the Digital Commando Academy. So it was it was all purely designed to give small businesses, startups, freelancers and um well, yeah small businesses really the opportunity to learn the skills of what we do inside an agency without having the massive price tag of paying for
0: an agency. Yeah. And, um, well, I mean, obviously yeah, you've done all that for a pandemic, which is actually amazing. And I can only imagine the amount of people that kind of needed that help. Um, my, my own business has been, uh, you know, it's boomed to a point because of it, because uh, again, it's about that being able to pivot, thinking outside the box, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden people are needing to do things within their own businesses and never thought they'd have to do. And like other people had to do in their own personal lives and that, you know, it's been a very testing time for so many people. Um, what, did, uh, what would you say has been uh, that, that through that whole COVID period has been the biggest challenge for you business-wise?
1: I think for us, I, I think we underestimated how difficult it was gonna be because we were in the digital sector. We were yeah. like, oh, it's not gonna affect us. High street retail has got nothing to do with us. We're all online, it's very, it's very easy. Now we were very lucky because in 2016, I made the conscious decision to make the agency remote um, and it was complete coincidence, obviously, that, that COVID happened a lot later on. But we had like some of the team wanted to go and travel around Thailand. Some of them wanted to go to Australia. And I didn't want to lose them because they were so good. So I said, look, if you can still do the job while you travel, then we'll keep you on and you can work mm-hmm. remotely. Now, the problem is when you give a couple of staff that option, the rest of them are like, well, why can't I work remotely? Why can't I stay, maybe work from home and things? So we were like, do you know what, let's try it. Let's go remote for a month and see how we all get on everybody enjoyed it so we went okay from now on we will go remote i was happy because obviously massive money saver i was paying about four thousand pounds a month for our office in vista so we were like okay let's shut the office everybody goes remote winner and then obviously so when the pandemic hit it was very easy for us to to transition from that point of view we didn't have to remote work everybody and figure out how to do it because we had been doing it for years now the, the problem we did have um and i know that you've you've got experience this because your mom and dad have got a pub right in, down south mm-hmm. so in, the, in where is it in blamford oh is it in Blanford? do i know the pub
0: yeah the greyhound yeah
1: yeah i do know it yeah of course so um we were <laughs> that's really funny i've definitely drank in
0: there um
1: a lot but for us it was we've got lots of clients in the hospitality industry restaurants pubs bars and things like that so and high street retail so we've got maria uh stephan we'll help me get through the business normally so maria's high street retail got a blinds company so you lose that footfall straight away so trying to work through and help these businesses get through that is it it was it was one of the best parts of COVID, but it was also a massive struggle because Mm -hmm. we did lose quite a lot of clients that didn't manage to get through covid or they had to they had no funds to continue with marketing although i always said to everybody it's a great time to market your business uh, because the competition was lower things like facebook ads were cheaper um unfortunately that still wasn't viable for a lot of companies so i think our our biggest struggle was trying to to really help these businesses through some that really didn't have any option to operate they couldn't there wasn't a lot they could pivot to to be honest
0: yeah no no i can, I can only imagine right and uh just got to go back to like what's been like for mom and dad's pub for example it's been horrendous you know um I don't know how much you know sasha lord he's a uh, he's, he's he's one he's quite um he's a, a f- quite a big figure in the hospitality sector actually in the northwest of Greater manchester and what started as a, a a small court case uh, against the government um for the whole substantial meal thing and like yeah. what pain it caused the hospitality sector has actually just blown up and then it's, I, i'm not sure i haven't checked i but it's just, i think it's in court at the moment where they're actually taking the government to a court fully. Um, actually, get them open now, like not 17th of May, because of yeah. the, the, just the lack of scientific evidence to say that they need to be shut. So, uh, and this whole rollercoaster that mum and dad have been through is where, you know, well, you know where the pub's situated. They've got Morrison's out the front, and then just surrounded by yeah. takeaways. Uh, so, yeah. they've all like been open the whole time, um, people on top of each other, and everything else like that. And, you know, in a COVID secure pub, they've not been able to open. They've just been sat up at the flat upstairs. It's been, you know, pretty torrid time for them. And so, uh, it's not been great. Um, seeing them have to go through that, you know. Right? Um, really, if you look at the
1: the pictures and the videos, obviously I'm not in the UK, but I can imagine what it's like. And I've seen all the footage and stuff. Where if you go into like Soho now or something in London, it's like it's like Notting Hill Carnival. Mm. Everybody's right next to each other. They're sat on top of each other and all the rest of it. So why do we? Why can they not go in the pub and sit a metre away from each other if they can stand right next to each other in in the street? So yeah. It's, a bit ridiculous to be honest i don't agree with it at all
0: no I, but you know no, i mean I'm, I'm glad there's people in uk like sasha who are you know actually taking you know the, the forefront in the fight against yeah. a lot of these um these issues that have caused so much damage to like not just a few but hundreds of thousands of businesses because it's been i think well last time I read there was 240,000 that have closed because of covid that's a lot yeah that's just not we tried to do a
1: petition i spoke to richie who runs a pub called the red Line over in huntingham uh who's a long long-term client been with us for years um great guy and again so obviously he was he was struggling because he, they said right the pubs have got closed so we started a petition to open the pubs specifically in warwickshire at the time because at that time uh the covid numbers within warwickshire were very very low Hmm. So we set up a petition to open the pubs specifically in tier one category or tier three, whatever the category was. Um and the it just got kicked out. So it got all the it went through, I think like I can't remember what it is, but you've got have X amount of signatures for it to get put through and then it goes through like an authorization yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. And they were just like, nope, sorry, we're not we're not even gonna take it. So hold up a minute, I don't
0: that's not democracy. <laughs> yeah. anything, I know, it's uh I, I, you know, like yourself, I've got friends all around the world living in different countries and sometimes it's, it's uh, obviously everyone's going to do everything different. It's like you do everything internally different within each company, isn't it? It's just on a grander scale. Um, so it, it, obviously in terms of business in Dubai, what's that mm-hmm. been like for the last sort of six to 12 months? So I only got out here in January 3rd. So
1: I've uh, oh. been here for just coming up to four months now. Right. Um, but we've been really, really lucky. Um, because, obviously, I've got a lot of experience from Dubai from, from years ago. Um, so now we're just in the process of recreate, well, basically recreating what we've got in the UK and then extending the kind of coaching and mentoring side of the business over here. Mm. Um, but it's, we're very lucky because we're, we're not restricted. We've still got networking events where you can go face to face. The pubs and bars and restaurants are all open. Realistically, apart from you can't have big crowded events like nightclubs, which have all pivoted and transitioned into restaurants, which is brilliant. Mm. There's not really much effect apart from we wear masks everywhere we go. Um, So we are very, very lucky. We don't hear much about COVID over here, really. Um, I'm not sure if that's on purpose, potentially. Uh, But we just don't really get too involved with it. We just carry on with our lives. Do you know what I mean? I think this is partly what I've always said that the UK should have just done. But I understand that there are casualties of this. And I I feel for everybody that's been through that. Um, But over here, it's almost been there are rules and restrictions in place, but we've been able to continue with our lives as, as much as we can. So business is going great. Um, lots of business over here continuing to excel because they are doing that that pivot and they are adapting to the situation to make sure they continue to profit. So there's not too much effect here from what I've seen, obviously on the, on the grain, on the bigger scale, um, there's not, not too much effect here, I don't think
0: that that's good and i think you know um i think the whole of uk is as a whole and many places in the united states and there's still quite a few states that are still they are in a very similar position to we are i haven't spoken to friends mm-hmm. over there and you've got the likes of florida and texas is just kind of like cool. right yeah. we've, done own, we've done our own thing um so yeah it, it's nice that it's kind of like that because like you're saying this life still has to move you know nature carries on you know yeah. Uh, and we, we are, believe it or not, still part of that. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know, they still got to like move on because I, I, I think as a whole, like our country is almost like kind of got, just got uh, kind of locked into the now and not yeah. like the next few months. And I've seen that all the way through. Again, going back to what we were talking about earlier about outcome thinking, high performance, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, know it's, I know it's hard to have a whole nation full of like outcome thinkers, but I think as a whole, there's, there doesn't, there hasn't been, any talk has always been about tomorrow, this week, tomorrow, this week, tomorrow, this week. And that's all it's been. It's not been looking at the future yeah. whatsoever. Um, so but it's good. The UK, they talk
1: about the now and the tomorrow. But the thing that really annoyed me, and one of the massive reasons why I left the UK, was because what they talk more about is the past and not the future. Mm, yeah. What should have done this. What if Labour would have done this or Conservatives would have done it? Who gives a shit? It's in the yeah. back you can't go back in time and change things so let's mm. look at the future rather than today tomorrow and and what happened 6 months ago and the negativity and i know you've mentioned the negativity before about the the whole feeling around covid and especially in in january when i left and december and everything happened in december was bonkers anyway um, but those kind of months just went just it was just turmoil. Everybody was like looking at things like Facebook, um, which probably shouldn't, but it was just so negative. Everyone's fighting with each other, everyone's contradicting each other. Nobody really knew the facts. And it was just this massive argument and full of negativity. And for me, that was the con like the contributing factor where I was like, you know what, I can't stay here. It's just not not for me. There's not enough I can't be the person that uplifts everyone because it drains me too much. So I need to escape from that, and that's, that's the main reason I got out.
0: Yeah, And do you know I, like, it, it wasn't so much January, I think it was more f- uh, February, early March. I, had, I was exactly the same. It was just uh, there was a week period where I up to that point I'd, I'd helped or stopped like four veterans from taking their own lives because they'd lost yeah. their business and everything. Um, and it just got so consuming from obviously like every, it was everything over social media is it. It's everything yeah. you see. Uh, i ended up closing my twitter account because i was just like it's just a constant reminder of like what's going on in this country and, and the, what the government's doing and stuff like that and yeah. then i've got like four guys that wanted to do that um you know my own parents like this that, and the other and i was just like as well as you know trying to run, run a business and build and you know yeah. serving clients and all the rest of it, it just, i just i almost my head was just like like this, um yeah. and it can it can happen to everybody so i was very quick to um snap that very quickly i took myself away from facebook for about 10 days and that just to totally dissect the negativity and sanit- yeah. sanitize you know what for a better word my um my own social media like got rid of twitter and everything and it's you know it's been an absolute godsend because i was at the end of the day like twitter didn't really served me i was just kind of uh, i got a lot of information from there just from being a critical thinker uh um, yeah. that, that that was purely it um, so yeah, I, t- I totally get it. And uh, yeah, trust me, like um, other countries is something that me and my family are currently looking at right now. Um, yeah, I oh yeah, brilliant. Honestly. Yeah, well, it to everybody. Yeah, and you know, we are very much looking at all the options and stuff because just like yourself, you know, I run my business from, well, this chair, where I'm sat in right now, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, any, or anywhere I want. So it's- exactly. um, And this place is tax-free, so great. <laughs> <laughs> Two texts, mate, just booking a flight.
1: Yeah, there you go. Sweet. Listen, I had a conversation with somebody earlier on and I was saying, look, come out here. Um, in the job that you're doing, you'll come over here, you'll be able to do, even if you just did the same as what you're doing now, you'd be doing 100 grand a year. But that's 200 grand a year because you're not paying all that tax. We pay 5% VAT on sales, but we pay zero income tax. Wow, that's unreal. So it is crazy, and but that won't last forever. So I think that's why I'm saying to people, get out now and, and ride ride the wave while it's still great. They will bring it in eventually that's that we've been talking about that for eight years to be honest but it will come in eventually I just don't know when it will be
0: yeah um well, i've got a, a question here if you um based off what we we're just talking about was, apologies the um for one of the groups uh asked how do you avoid or deal with negativity Stefan? there's a lot of it during this pandemic
1: it is difficult um it's probably been one of the things that i've struggled with the most um and obviously we i probably got a lot of negative negativity directed at me for for coming out here as well so we got not that i'm one of the influencers but we kind of got tarnished with the same brushes oh you're all just going out there because it's nice and sunny and you can influences and you can afford to do it and it was it was just a bit of a there was a lot of that in the beginning it's kind of gone away a bit now but for the negativity is you can't it's difficult you just gotta ignore it um if you're getting if you're seeing it all the time. Like the news was one of the biggest places where you see all negative press. It was just COVID, 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 COVID. So I switched off all the news apps. I actually there was um, you've probably seen the social dilemma on Netflix. Mm, yeah. Awesome documentary. The minute that finished, and this was when I was still in the UK. The minute that 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 uh, documentary finished, I went onto my phone. I switched off all my notifications. So now I and I've kept it the same. I only get notified when I check my messages. Yeah. I only see things on Facebook when I go to Facebook. I don't get any of the notifications on anything, um, which obviously is very good for productivity at the same time. But that's how I've managed to stay away from a, a lot of the negativity. You do get caught up with it now and again, but I generally uh, stay away from it most of the time because yeah. I, I don't see it, I don't I don't pay attention anymore.
0: Yeah, and again, it's just uh, something I've been shouting from the rooftops quite a lot uh, over the last few weeks about controlling the controllable. Um, and at the end of the day, like no matter what my opinion is, it and it doesn't matter who my friends are who are scientists and tell me a lot of like the genuine um mm. situation, I can't just go booting down number ten, like grabbing people scruff next, no matter how much I want to and say, look, mate, right, this is how you need to do things. because it's, it's, yeah. it's not realistic, it's not gonna happen. What I can do though is positively influence my family, all the people mm. around me, my audience, the listeners of this podcast. Uh, and all the rest of it, to try and be the very best version of themselves within the situation that we find ourselves in, um, given their own personal circumstances. I think that's probably yeah. the best way to look at it, you know? Um, absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, I've, I've absolutely, you know, stopped getting too wound up and stressed out about it. And I've, I've stopped watching, you know, I don't watch the news, I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I don't have notifications on my phone, uh, other than my WhatsApp, and the people who have my number are the people that I want to speak to, you know, on a regular basis. So yeah, again, anyone who's watching now, um, if negativity is something that really kind of like hammering you from all angles, um, you know, notific- th- simple things like notification and like not taking your phone to bed and not not being the first thing you, you consume when you, when you wake up in the morning. So you become a dictator of your time and not a reactor to everybody's wants and needs. Um, something that I'm talking to kids about uh, on doing a little bit of a school tour, um, doing some talks and stuff, and that's one of the big things we're talking about is being a, a dictator of your time and not a, a reactor um yeah. but in terms of uh, obviously the business and how you've like launched it and how it's gone from um strength to strength out there mate it's uh, enabled you to bring out a, a, a book which you know i'm a huge fan of mate i like you know I've got, I've got a lot of military friends as a, and people yourself you know who have brought books out and the best-selling authors and stuff like that. Um, tell us a bit about um, the book itself, and uh, you know, like who's you know who's aimed at, and um, and and how has it kind of helped you since you brought it out?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, for me, again, it was there was an element of marketing to it. So there was um, we tried to cover every single base in marketing, from um, kind of low entry point to the lowest entry point would be someone that could afford the book and they can take knowledge from that up to the academy, this, the the um, agency, and then obviously one to one. So for me, it was there, was there was that was kind of the reason that I started it, and then it and then it evolved as I wrote it. So um, the book was it was incredibly hard. Like if anybody's thinking about read writing a book, it's nails, um, but it's very worth it when it's done. If I would write another one, I'm not sure, but um, but it was good. So the book's called Selling in Your Sleep. Uh, for some of those that have seen it, and lots of people bought it, which was great as well. Um, and it is all about the ability to sell in your sleep. So one of the things that I believe in heavily is. Obviously money and time, I love both, and I would like to have more of both as, as everybody would. Um, now the best way to get money and time as a business owner is to automate as much of your processes internally as possible. Um, now we wanted to focus specifically on the market inside, so the book does take you through almost like a story now we didn't want it as a step-by-step guide like dummies guide to to market or anything like that i wanted to bring in a bit of personality and a bit of fun to the, the book as well so there's lots of ex-military stories in there that kind of tie into uh, the background of, as to why i do what i do now and some funny stories of clients along the journey so we teach people everything from how to set up that initial part of their marketing whether that's their daily facebook posts through to their ads to um creating funnels and then those funnels convert in for either an appointment or um, or a product, product sale. So the idea is once you've put all these processes in place, you should be in a position where you update your creative monthly, but you should be able to just flick a switch and leads or sales come out the other side. And then that is it. You are almost essentially selling in your sleep. Um, so we use the process internally. Loads of our clients use exactly that process. We haven't held anything back. Every single piece of software that we use inside the agency for clients that pay tens of thousands a month Well, it's exactly the same process. We haven't hidden anything um, So I just tried to give everybody everything For it wasn't a case of we're going to give you a, just enough information That then you have to come to us and ask more and buy something mm-hmm. It's all the information is in the book. You can literally pick up the book, read it and 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 do it from there really um, So that was, that was the theory behind it. It was very much that people during COVID, those budgets, even for things like the Academy um, were too expensive. So let's give them something that's a much, much more easy, easily accessible product, which is which is why we brought out the book. And, and thanks to everybody, if anybody's watching who's brought the book, um, thank you very much. It did go to number one bestseller within the first four hours, it just flew up. Um, it stayed there, I was the only person when I actually went down a little bit in the entrepreneur category on amazon the only person above me was elon musk so fair enough like i'm not going to compete with that dude um but it was yeah absolutely flew off the shelves i don't know how many we sold in total i think we did about a thousand in the first month obviously it's still selling now it still keeps pinging up and down in the charts but um but yeah it's been really good i was just quite happy because we put on the front cover um selling in your sleep when a four-hour work week is still too long um, which was obviously a little bit of a dig at the four-hour work week. Anybody's read Temp- Tim, Tim Ferris, Tim Ferriss, but yeah, yeah. But I actually really liked Tim Ferriss. Like, so it's not a proper dig at him, but it was just a bit of a, a, bit of a play on words. And that's what it is. It is designed to reduce the amount of time business owners, especially startup business owners, are spending in their business, so they've got mm. a bit more to spend on their business.
0: But I also uh, like how you box clever there with the four-hour work week. You got it in the title, because it's also like play on keywords, isn't it as well? So if people yeah. type in book for our work week, like yours. Oh, I'd
1: probably come up. Yeah. I didn't even yeah. think of it. Yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs> well, there we go. That'd be why yeah. we sold so many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, well, I, I, one of my clients, uh, absolutely fantastic guy. Um, he's starting a podcast, obviously part of what I'm coaching him, and, uh, is setting up his podcast and stuff like that. And he, he's, he's calling it the high, the high performing, uh, the high performing parents podcast. That's so it's huge. all about people who are like the top of their a game, um, but still trying to do so whilst being a parent at the same time and stuff like that. So it's a good sort of like, advert to get some great people on his podcast. But mm-hmm. I said to them, like, call it that because the high performance podcast is doing exceptionally well at the minute. Um yeah. Jake Humphreys from BT Sport obviously does it. Um I okay, get you know, he's got all like world renowned people on there. But I said when people type in high performance podcast, like you're gonna sit up next to it because you've got a very similar name. Yeah, because it's just got parent in it. Um Amazing. To release a book, it was one of the top selling books on Amazon is
1: high performance something. I can't yeah. what it is, But that's a coaching and mentoring book. Um, and that was one of the ones that knocked me off the charts, which I was a bit annoyed about. But it's, uh, it is a, well, that will probably help as well. Get up there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's just all the, I guess, learning all those little things. But you do that by surrounding yourself with the people who are already doing it in your niche, who you are absolutely smashing it, yeah. um, whatever that might, might be. Um, one of the users that, uh, one of on the people online now said that he uh, you knows a famous property investor. I think I know who he's talking about Mr. Stephen Green, no doubt, um, um, for, former oil engineer, gives his book away to boost the leads to conversions. Would you consider doing this? So well, let's, let's read that
1: again. No thanks for the investor who gives his book away to boost the leads to conversions. Yeah, well, we do do it for some people. So people that are interested in like the mentoring, now don't all do this now because then I'm not giving them a load of free books. But yeah. Hmm. So, We've got, our, I've got a lead gen team and a sales team. Now the lead gen team will go out there and hit people up on things like LinkedIn that they think of the target demographic for one-to-one training with me. Now, if they're the right person, they just need a little bit warming up, we will send them the book normally. Um, we did think about giving it away for free. It's an expensive book, to be honest. Um, yeah. the, the cost to produce the books and deliver them is actually quite high. We do print to order through Amazon. If anybody knows anything about selling books, you do not make money on books. Um, they are very expensive. So we've done, we have got an actual, we have got a funnel launching. Um, it is done, we just need a little bit more editing, uh, but that funnel will probably be launching next week where you could get the book, which is now free. You just have to pay 9.99 delivery. So <laughs> we, yeah, so we do do it. Um, obviously that's international delivery. So we, we win some, we lose some. So yeah, we, ha- we have thought about that and we do do it. Unfortunately, you do have to pay shipping charges.
0: Yeah, and it's just, it's the same as um, a lot of the way you go around, but I'm sure later on down the line, as you kind of expand on um, like methodologies and all that kind of stuff, you know, th- those opportunities to give books away for free in terms, you know, for, from a lead generation point of view, kind of comes part in the parcel, doesn't it? Um, as you get further on down the line and uh, production, everything becomes a lot cheaper. That's uh, yeah. usually, usually the way it works. Um, but we've had people that are struggling and stuff and people have said that we're really,
1: really struggling financially and things like that. And if I, if I just fall into one of those conversations anywhere, I mm-hmm. will normally say send me your address, I'll send you a book. So we, yeah. we have sent quite a, a, quite a few free books to people that are, that need it the most, I would, I would say.
0: Yeah. You know, that's absolutely, that's absolutely great. And, you know, again, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Jordan Wiley, I don't know if you know him. He's, um, former Cavalry's, uh, is an adventurer. Um, and an author of that, you know, and he's actually coaching with me and my football team, like an amazing guy. And uh, he said to me once, uh, I think it was on my podcast I did with him, that having a book is probably the best business card you could ever have. Oh, uh, and I the was best, like, best I really, Yeah, I never really thought of it like that. Never, ever really thought about it like that. Um, From an authority point of view and things like that, it's so good. Like, I,
1: I've had more inquiries to work with me one to one since launching the book than I have in four years. Hmm. Like it's just, it just takes off. It's, yeah. I recommend it to everybody. If, you, if you're an expert in your field and you feel like you can put that into words, then get it. And actually you don't even need to be good at writing. This is the trick these days. You can hire ghost writers. I personally used a ghost writer because my English is rubbish. Um, so I used a ghost writer that used to sit with me on Zooms every week. I would talk, they would transcribe it and make it into English. And then obviously then they, they create the book, I review it and, and eventually it goes out. I, luckily i didn't have to write it otherwise it would be like every other word would be a spelling mistake more than likely
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah so uh you know i, so I get asked it all, all the time because I've, I've literally got like a little collection on my uh my bookcase next to me here of like um all the people i've had on my podcast have got books like they send me signed copies like and um, i'm not just trying to like drop a hint here um but
1: uh, <laughs> yeah but they yeah
0: but nice they they often say to me, like, whether it's offline or whatever, like, oh, so when you bring one out, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know what about. So if you're watching this, ladies and gents, and you know me from old like, especially from the Osnabrok days, and you've got pictures of me shit faced somewhere, uh, in a gutter around some German town and that, <laughs> please send me some photos because I'd like to stick them in the book. I think it'd be worth uh, it would be worth it just for the laugh.
1: Um, in, the, in the beginning of the book, I there's a story about when I felt my first day in Osnabruck, where um, I turned up to obviously the garages and somebody said to me, oh, can you go and grab a TPG for the 4.3? And I was like, I don't know what a TPG is or a 4.3. So I was like, okay, cool. And they've sent me to the QM's department, they sent me to, uh, they sent me to the Sergeant Major's office and everything, just trying to get this TPG for the three. and they just kept sending me to somebody else. And eventually I kind of clocked on that something wasn't right. And I went back and I was like, haha, very funny lads. And they were like, ah, I got you. I still didn't know what it was until about two weeks later when somebody told me. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it, a tyre pressure gauge for a four-three, which is essentially an armored personnel carrier or a tank. To some people, they haven't got tyres, so <laughs> you can't do it. But I wrote the—I had that in the book—and then I had a message from someone that I'd served with, and she said, "Oh, actually, um, we've read your book." And the person that said that to you, because I couldn't remember who'd said it to me, she goes, "That was my husband." Wow. So uh, it was, yeah, it's really funny to kind of
0: hear back from who actually was that said it. Oh, that's brilliant. So, it's, what did you say? Like, I'll uh, give you your address. I'll send you a book and a tire pressure gauge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <I didn't really laughs> got the book, But yeah, for sure, probably should send him a tire pressure gauge. <laughs> um, so, what's so, so what's uh, what's the plans there uh, for yourself and, and the business uh, moving forward over the next sort of six twelve months out in uh, Dubai? So, we're looking at opening up the the mentoring spots. Um, in the sense
1: of we want to hire more mentors to come and work out here. So like we're looking at people that have maybe got ex-coaching experience because obviously, as you know, coaching is a big part of the mentoring anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So we're looking at expanding that business. The goal over the next two to three years is to hire a team of four, uh, well, 40 to 50 uh, coaches and mentors in the office or working with about 20 clients each. Um, and obviously, we've got we've already got our sales team and lead gen team, so that's that's all cool. So we're trying to bring as many people out as that. So if there is anybody watching and thinking about a career change or they want a fresh start, which is the reason I came out here in the beginning, um, then then obviously get in touch with me because we'll be looking to bring people on more than likely from just after the summer, so August September time.
0: Wow, fantastic! And um, for for people who are watching, you you're interested in coaching and mentoring. What sort of um, line or what sort of niches would they be uh, be looking at working in? so it can be anything really so one
1: of my things that i've always believed is nobody can be like the master of everything nobody like i can say that myself even having run successful businesses i cannot know everything about business i won't pretend to be the best accountant in the world Um, i'm very good at sales marketing advertising they're probably my three areas so the best people to work with me are agencies naturally because i've gone through that process myself but i work with fitness companies or with um retail companies there's, there's not really too much of a niche um there will be when i obviously when you do that initial consultation to see um what their problems are then we'll probably discuss if they're right for if we're right for each other or not in that sense but realistically is anybody trying to grow their business i'm very much i'm not like a fluffy marketer like a lot of them i don't focus on brands because i don't care for it um, i care about sales and money and that is it Um, So it's a bit more focused on that. But I suppose the thing that makes us very different is we bring in these experts um, Mm -hmm. and we try to bring them in as much as possible from the military community as well. And if I could, if everybody I hire for the next, if every, all 40 mentors can be ex-military, I would be over the moon. I'd be apt, that would be gleaming. So that would be a good USP for us as well. Yeah, Um, yeah. And, and I think the background that people bring in, it is, it's hard work, it's great pay, but it's very, very hard work. You do need to go the extra mile for clients because we don't just do the coaching side. We'll do the mentoring and it needs to be the fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So if they do have a problem with, they don't know how to do their accounting, we will put them in touch with a, as part of their monthly fee, we'll get a financial director to sit with them, to go through their accounts with them. So they get in that that coaching from an actual professional because we wouldn't expect everybody in our team to know that sort of stuff. So I suppose that's kind of what, what we do that's different to a, a lot of them. A lot of people work with, um, I won't drop any brands in actually, I won't say what I was gonna say, but yeah, it's, um, if you yeah, you'll know. Well, it says in it says in the video actually, in the market video, if they work with coaches and the coaches are telling them to do stuff and they don't know how to do it, then they're better off working with us because we'll either show you how to do it or do it for you and that's yeah, that's yeah, 100%. Yeah. it's giving people back time and money that's the central part of it
0: yeah yeah and exactly that mate um you know, I, I see it all the time and i hear it every day you know people who um who have uh, coaches um mm-hmm. yeah it is a unregulated market you know despite like i know the states are very hot and the icf accreditations and all the rest yeah. of it like That and um but in the uk i mean you get sort of like um you know, Karen, who's, uh, I don't mean to use the word Karen all the time, but um, who's, it, in one better word, morbidly obese, and they call themselves wellness coaches at Slimming World. Do you know what I mean? The, the term is thrown around a lot. And I think, depending on where you go, uh, in whether it's UK, Dubai, the state, stuff like that, like the word coach has a different meaning to a lot of people, doesn't it? So, you, know, uh, you get 18 year old life coaches which never sell yeah. very well it? and stuff yeah like that. But, then you, but then you go to the states and like most people got a life coach on speed dial one haven't they and it's just like yeah a, it's a normal everyday thing i found that when i lived in australia it was like um everyone had a, a everyone had a, a, a therapist or somebody to speak to like literally and like the, yeah. the phone like, you know as Brits, you're like what oh, you you doing that for you weirdo i ain't speaking to anyone yeah. about this well you know yourself you go to a personal development event here in the uk and uh especially in the military everyone's like what are you going there for? Like you, you need a cuddle, you know? Um yeah. you got any then, issues, have some tissues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just that uh, you know, the words the word coaching in uh in UK has a totally different meaning, I find, to like where you are and um, the states and Australia and stuff like that. People kind of take a it's gone the back foot about it all really and they're very reserved. Um I, I didn't ever want to do it. It was never part of my plan actually. Um mm-hmm.
1: I never wanted to do I don't want to do coaching. Um I, I always wanted to do mentoring, but I didn't want to do it yet. For me, I wanted to be a mentor when I was 50, like mm. not when I was 33, um, because I felt like I needed to have so much credibility before I could go and do it. Yeah, um, And I just didn't feel like I had that. But then it's supply and demand. When people are asking you, please, can I work one-to-one with you? It was kind of like, you know, I'd be an idiot to say no, to be honest. So yeah. let's, let's just do it. And then it kind of turned into something that where I speak to so many people that get coached and that they struggle with oh my coach told me to do this and I'm like okay so have you done it and like, I don't know how it's like whoa we're at that. and that was the bit that kind of her spark in my brain which was like do you know what this is a big problem there's so many people getting coached by people in the UK that may not necessarily be as good as other coaches and it was just like do you know what this is a big problem they're paying a lot of money and I don't really feel like they're seeing the benefit so how can we change it and that was where it came from.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, like, and, and I love, I love them all. mate. I think it's fantastic, and uh, you know, a, a anybody who's sat on the fence, who's uh, who's pissed off in the UK with the way things have gone, and uh, you know, is, uh, is is longing just to live a nice life, I guess, in a sunnier climate, and uh, make sure you give uh, Stefan a, a shout if be wanting to hear from you. Um, yeah, of the summer is a bit too hot at the minute. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, guys and girls. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the the, the episode today with Stefan. I hope you it, you know you enjoyed the value. Uh, there has been a lot of really great points here. I think we've shared um, that can give you guys a bit of food for thought over the next few months, and um, you know things that you can implement into your own life, and just give you that little bit of positive uh, injection one for a better word um, <laughs> into the you know into your future prospects and stuff like that. Um, mate thanks thanks a huge bunch i'll i'll, I'll be sure to share your um or your contact details in the show notes obviously on the actual audio podcast and stuff but for the benefit of the, the viewers and the listeners uh where can people find you like on on social media
1: yeah i'm i'm pretty much everywhere to be honest um facebook instagram uh, everything literally i can't i don't think i can name one that i'm not on i don't think i'm on snapchat anywhere else you can find me um yeah, yeah, on Instagram, Stephen DC. Um, if you put my name in, I'll, I'll come out. It'll, it'll either be me or the guy from Vampire Diaries. So, pretty much anyway.
0: But, but AJ, honestly, thanks very much for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. It's great to have a chat. No, mate, it's absolutely brilliant. And like I said, um, for the guys and the girls that listen regularly, um, you know, it's it's important. I, I really, really, really important for me that I get like I call high performing people on, especially at a time like now when you know people, a lot of people really do need just that little bit of. Um, a little bit of positivity, you know, p- p- brought into their lives because they're not getting it from other external sources. So it's great to have people like yourself who have made that transition. And it's, and it's great to have somebody from the military that's come from the UK and now is out in Dubai, like absolutely smashing it. And, you know, and, but also supporting others, you know, and doing amazing things for other people. It's not just a kind of like, like this kind of, you know. Um, yeah. And you know, it's, it, it's, it's, absolutely fantastic. Um, so I, you know, I love having people like yourself on that's so why I'm so keen to get you on the, on the show, mate. Um, and, okay, yeah, and, 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 guys and girls, if you haven't done so already, make sure you check out, um, Stefan's book, you know, it's actually, you know, it can help you in a lot, you know, more ways than more ways than one and, uh, and help you on your future journey. There we go. That's the book. There you go. That. selling in your sleep. When the four-hour work week is still too long, so you want it looks like that's the one. <laughs> I look better in the picture. So I've just I've just uh, changed my whole schedule. So I'm only working like three to four days, and Friday is my play day, right? Uh, whether that's like golf, whatever. Or like I'm, like that, that's kind of like a become a non-negotiable now. And I think you know, just like you've done there with the book, I think when you can kind of start getting yourself to that position, um, you know, you're on the right path. I said, but I still, but if you're not quite yet there like set that as a goal set that as a goal where like i want a day a week outside of the weekend where it's my non-negotiable like i'm gonna either play my sport or do this or do that and cut myself off and you know external noises and all this kind of stuff if, i think if people start doing that you know and they'll start seeing success in their business because their head's going to be in a such, you know much much better place
1: massively massively agree i've done the same so uh for me saturday is my non-negotiable that is off uh completely like our week's slightly different so uh sunday is monday in dubai so and then obviously i still work fridays because i've got uk clients so i work pretty much sunday to, to friday but saturday is nobody will probably get me on social media It'd be very difficult to get me because i just the phone's gone um i'll go to the beach i'll go snowboarding i'll go surfing i'll do something for me uh, mm. but it makes a huge difference absolutely mm. massive i definitely recommend it to anybody and as you know aj like if, if anybody's feeling that lack of momentum i know it can be difficult in the uk at the minute but they're really feeling that in the middle of the day or the middle of the week where they're just like you know what my headspace is gone drop everything and just leave if you can if you can do that then just get out and go and do something that you enjoy if you
0: if you can go to the pub now the pub's open isn't it so <laughs> yeah it is mate all right again thanks for joining us today mate and uh guys and girls hope you really enjoyed it took away a load of nuggets um for those of you who are lacking a little bit in sort of confidence in your con- content creation. Um, if it's something you feel that has happened in your business or something that you know can actually improve um, where you are right now, I'm running a free five-day challenge on the 3rd of May to the 7th of May. It's absolutely free, there's no strings attached. Uh, I wanna teach people to how to build the confidence to get great content out there. I'm gonna teach you content structure, content creation, some lead generation and some really good tips to build that confidence inside yourself. So you can start getting yourself out there a bit more, whether that be on like Facebook stories, Instagram stories, all that kind of good jazz uh, to help build a bigger audience to showcase your business to. Um, So if you're interested in that guys, make sure you send me a DM either on Instagram or Facebook, but until next week uh, enjoy the rest of the week guys. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure, Stefan. And I will see you guys on the next episode of the AJ Robert Show. Thank like-